Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Hey, good morning. How is everyone on this holiday weekend? Good. Well, thanks for making time uh, to be here on this holiday weekend before. By the way, I hate Monday holidays. Is anyone with me on that? It's just disorienting. I think they should all be on Friday. Give us a lot. Yeah, I'm getting some applause. Power to the people. Contact your local representative. We can change this. I'm just kidding. Politicians don't change anything that's really important. Why would they change? Um, Oh, uh, if you work in the political sector, welcome. Um, way to start off well. Uh, let's talk about the Bible. That's why we're, I'm up here anyway. Uh, Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn there. There's one underneath the chair in front of you. Uh, as I do as every so often, I do want to remind you, a lot of people ask like, about the Bibles that we have. If you want a Bible, like something in your hands and not just on your device, the one in front of you, you can take that with you free of charge. Um, I think that um, the loss of reading sacred texts is actually a cultural loss for us. So one of the reasons that we always ask people to turn to their Bibles is because we think maybe if we're more familiar with this, we'll spend more time reading it. So with that said, Luke chapter 11, if you were with us last week, our friend Carrie Latticer was here, and um, she talked about what's called the Disciples' Prayer. It's kind of Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit shorter, some different words, but Jesus doesn't stop his instruction at the end of the Disciples' Prayer. He keeps going in verse 5. It says, Then Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers or mothers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, one of the most common questions I receive in my work about prayer is, does God answer prayer? Has anyone ever wondered that? Does God answer prayer? I have. I still do, quite honestly. Because you're left with like, well, if you're praying for something and it doesn't happen, that's God's way of saying no. Which is like a really frustratingly passive response. I'm just not going to do what you're asking for, but I'm not actually going to say anything. So then we get, you know, songs like, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer by Garth Brooks. Which, if you think about it, is a really belittling song to his wife. Right? Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into mild high school flame. He was praying to marry his high school flame, and his wife was the unanswered prayer. That's belittling. Maybe it's just me. But this is the way we think about prayer oftentimes. And it's often, does God answer prayer? Why pray? And at the bottom of these questions that we have about prayer, there's kind of this thing of like, does prayer even work? Does prayer work? And I suppose the answer to that question depends on what you think the purpose of prayer is or what you think the, the reason is behind us praying. Does prayer work? And I point to this because these questions about God answering prayer and us asking God for things seems to be throughout the entire passage we just read. And it begins with Jesus creating this scene that everyone who was listening to him would have been very familiar with. Apparently, some traveler is traveling late at night, which is not uncommon, and they arrive at a friend's house late at night. And when they get there, this host realizes he has nothing to give this weary traveler by way of food. So he goes to his neighbor's house. You can almost picture it. His hair's a little messed up. He's got his robe on tied tight. It's a little bit chilly. Didn't put his sandals on because he's just walking next door, probably stepping on some stones. And he gets outside the door and he yells, Hey, are you awake? And you hear, Don't bother me. I need some bread. Yeah, I'm in bed already with my kids. Now the picture going on inside the house is that in the area where Jesus grew up, which would have been the northern part of Israel, the houses there were very small. Much of your daily life took place outside of the house. Inside the house, there was typically a small room that was kind of the center for living. If you were poor, you would actually put the animals in there at night to keep them safe. And your bedroom was typically elevated above the animals and it was a small room with a few mats on the floor and everyone slept in the same room. And so when he's in there, he begins thinking through things like, it's so dark, I'm going to have to light a, a lamp, I'm going to have to watch out that I don't step on my kids and wake them up in the process. And now this guy's outside, I don't remember where we left all the stuff to make bread. And so he's yelling at his friend, don't bother me, I'm already in bed with my kids, go away. But then as we hear the story, we find out that eventually he seemingly succumbs to the pressure, he sighs, he gets up, everyone's already awake, there's someone outside in the middle of the night yelling, 
And he opens the door and you can almost see him like kind of throwing the stuff at him. Like, there, leave me alone. Go away. And oftentimes the way this parable is like interpreted is you know what the, you know what the moral of the story is? Be persistent with God. Has anyone ever heard that? I mean, that's one of the most common translator interpretations of this parable. Just keep asking God over and over and over and over. And God, because of your audacity, will give you what you want. Now, it sounds kind of good, but it has the power to break down if we really, really think about it. Now, here's why I say that. If we are to take from the story the example of being audacious or persistent, that means we are the friend in the robe outside in the middle of the night, cold without sandals on, asking for bread. Which means God is the one inside the house sleeping and really kind of disgruntled that we're outside the house yelling. So we're out there going, hey God, and God's inside going, would you stop bothering me? Really, really wonderful picture of the divine, isn't it? But allow me to suggest maybe this is the picture many of us actually do have of God. That God is somewhere out there, distant and removed, sitting on a throne with a big white beard, kind of unconcerned, and really isn't going to listen to us until we bother him to the extent that God gives us what God wants to, or what we want, if for nothing else, just to get us to shut up. It actually sounds like really unhealthy parenting. Or parenting when you're really tired. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's fascinating to me that we have this interpretation of this parable that's so common and yet it suggests this about God and somehow like tons and tons of people are still okay with it. Maybe, maybe a lesson we can learn is that we will often interpret things according to the way that we view God and view the world. Maybe something inside of us is like, yeah, no, that's, you know, just kind of pester God and maybe something will happen. The, the reason this doesn't seem to work for me is not only is that a poor picture of God, but Jesus says elsewhere in instruction about prayer, and when you pray, don't be like the pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words. And yet, persistence is this idea of just keep at it, just keep at it. When Jesus talks about this idea of praying like pagans, there's a great picture of this given to us in the Hebrew Scriptures. There's a story about a prophet named Elijah, and Elijah was one of the great prophets in the history of Israel, and he went to a king of Israel named Ahaz, who was worshiping pagan gods and said to him, listen, because of the choices you're making, I'm telling you, it's not going to rain in Israel until I give the word. Now, the reason he chose drought is because the gods Ahaz was worshiping were fertility gods. And fertility gods were the ones who were in charge of the rain because they understood no rain, no crops. And so Elijah is making a very strong religious and political statement to a king. Years later, it hasn't rained a drop. 
And Elijah and Ahaz have a conversation again, and Elijah says, hey, I have an idea. If you really want to know who's God in Israel, why don't you send some of your prophets to Mount Carmel? I'll meet them there, and we'll have like a pray-off. I don't know what else you'd call it. You pray to your God, I'll pray to my God. We'll see who can make it rain. And, and so they get there, they build their altars, they slaughter a bull, and they put it on top of the altar, and Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. And so they begin praying at nine in the morning, shouting to Baal. Then they begin dancing. Then they begin writhing around. Then they begin shouting louder. 450 prophets yelling and making a commotion. And then it gets to noon. So they have a three-hour prayer service. Nothing is happening. And then this is what Elijah says to them. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now let's leave that up there for a second because he says perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Busy is actually a condensation of two words in the Hebrew that is an ancient Hebrew euphemism for pooping. The Bible has something for everyone, doesn't it? <laughs> he's, perhaps he's deep in thought or pooping. Like, your God's on the toilet with his iPhone and just is doom scrolling, even though he's been done for far too long, right? Some of you are here and you're like, I don't think poop jokes are funny. There's a word for people like you. Uptight. I think we need more poop jokes and sermons. Anyway. This is what Elijah says to them. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he must be awakened. Keep being persistent. And it says that they go on for three more hours after this. And the most depressing line in 1 Kings chapter 18 is, no one was listening and no one was heard. No one's there. And it's fascinating that we take this parable about a guy who's asleep and doesn't want to get up and doesn't want to respond to a request and we compare that to God. This is primitive, ancient thinking that is ridiculed in the Hebrew Scriptures, that is taught against by Jesus himself. Maybe if we take a big step back from the text itself, we can gain a little bit more clarity. First observation about the parable. How many times does the friend who needs bread for a guest ask the guy inside for bread? Anyone want to venture a guess? You have your cheat sheet right in front of you. It's called the Bible. Like, how many times does he ask him for bread? One time. That doesn't seem very persistent, does it? He just says, hey, man, I need some bread. I got a buddy that showed up. This is like, there's a lot of college metaphors here that I'm just going to stay away from, right? Midnight, have some friends over. And then it says the guy protests once, but he still gets up. It's actually, a, I mean, it's a pretty quick parable if you think about it. Someone has a need, he goes to his neighbor, his neighbor's like, ah, I don't feel like doing it, but he does it, and that's it. And this idea of like, well, this is about persistence and going boldly, and, 
Well, it really gets tricky because the word there that's translated shameless audacity in our text or persistence in a lot of other translations is it's actually the only time in the entire Christian scriptures that that word is used by Luke. Now, it's used outside of the Bible, and outside of the Bible, it simply means shamelessness. Like He's just shameless. He knows where the food is, and he's going to go ask for it. So it gets really tricky when we try to read something into the text that actually may not be there. The second part that a lot of scholars have pointed out that's incredibly helpful, it's very grammatical, is that what Jesus is doing here in the Greek language in which Luke writes is he's actually asking a question. This is the way one scholar put it in the idea of this being a question. He says this, Jesus is asking, can you imagine having a friend and going to him with the sacred request to help you entertain a guest, and then he offers silly excuses about sleeping children in a barred door? The listener knows the command for responsibility for the guest and responds, no, we cannot imagine it. What Jesus is doing is he's giving a real concrete example that some in the crowd may have actually experienced And they had a wildly different experience because hospitality was paramount in their culture. And so Jesus is saying, can you imagine if this happened? They'd be like, no, that would never happen. And the implied idea that Jesus is pushing on, well, if you can't imagine it with your neighbor, how much more God? If your neighbor would open the door at midnight and give you what you needed, how much more God? Maybe this is why he talks about asking and seeking and knocking. Now, a lot of people, again, take this as, oh, ask and it'll be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. See, this is just another thing about God answering prayer. Just like the guy at midnight who gets up and gives bread, God will answer your prayer. Yeah, but Jesus doesn't really indicate what we're asking for or what we're seeking or what door we're knocking on. He just talks about asking and seeking and knocking. And some try to make some loose references to what Jesus might be talking about. But the reality is it's very unclear, and just like a lot of Jesus' teaching is unclear. But he's talking about asking and seeking and knocking. Maybe he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 4 in Jeremiah 29 where God says to the people, when you seek me, with, or you seek me and find me, and if you seek me with all of your heart. Maybe. Maybe it's another teaching that Jesus gives where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and God's justice, and then everything will be added to you or everything will be given to you. But there's not any real clarity. He's just saying Do this. Seek, ask, knock. Do this. And not only do it, but do it with confidence. Do it like a little kid would when they're asking their parent for something. Which one of you, he says, or can you imagine if you're a parent having a child, dot, 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 and they say, no, we cannot imagine it. Same formula as the parable. Which one of you parents, he says, if your kid comes along and says, can I have a fish, would hand him a snake? Which one of you, if your kid said, can I have an egg, would give him a scorpion? The implied answer is, none of us. And the reason it's come with confidence is, I don't know how much time you spent around kids, 
But young kids, like the, the word that they're using here to describe children, like there's no boundary that they have when they ask for things. And there's also not only boundary with what they're asking for, but a boundary with regard to timing. I remember uh, one night, our youngest, she was probably about four, I was dead asleep, middle of the night. Now, I don't know what kind of sleeper you are. There's some people like, oh, I'm a really light sleeper. And then there's people like me who are like, when I'm asleep, I'm near death. <laughs> like it is a, I could honestly, if you gave me 30 seconds, I could lay down right here and be asleep. Some of you are like, that sounds like a medical condition. And I would shrug and say, yeah, but I really like it. <laughs> so I'm asleep, dead asleep. Maybe this is too much information, but I do sleep on my left side, which means I'm facing away from the bed and back to my wife. In, at like 2.38 a.m., I feel, on my forehead. And when I come back from death, I'm very unpleasant, oftentimes threatening. Like, you would have thought, like, I live, like, a really, like, hard life. Like, you know, I wake up, like, ready to destroy somebody. And I, like, I don't know what I did. It was something out of the exorcist when I woke up. And I'm like kind of yelling at her, but words are not coming out. And then she says, I just wanted water. No, not O. <laughs> I gave her water at eight o'clock when she went to bed and she didn't drink it, not O. I gave her what she needed and she said no. Consequences, people. <laughs> Jesus like, which one of you, if your kid wakes you up in the middle of the night and asks for water, is gonna just give them gasoline? Of course not. So like I, you know, I get up and kind of stumble over to the sink and get her some water. Incidentally, after that, she kept waking my wife up. My wife was like, why don't you wake dad up in the middle of the night and ask him for anything? She's like, because dad is scary when I wake him up <laughs> in the middle of the night. Oh, wonderful picture. Here you go, here's some money for therapy. Um, <laughs> kids don't know, like they have no, they'll ask you for anything. I've had my kids ask for helicopters. I've had my kids ask for horses. I've asked my kid ask for millions of dollars to be in their bank account. I even had one time, hey dad, I don't know how much money you have when you die, but since I'm your favorite, do you think I'll get the biggest chunk of the inheritance? This after listening to the prodigal son parable. The things we take from scripture. Kids just ask is the point that Jesus is making. Now, one of the questions we asked at the very beginning was, does prayer work? And a lot of people come to verses like these and they have this idea in their head and the idea is this. Yeah, prayer works. I mean, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. And if you ask, it'll be given to you. And if you seek it, you'll find it. And if you knock, the door will be open. Don't you know the thing about the guy at midnight who goes to his friend and he gets the bread? And what about good parents who even though they are evil, they'll give their kids good gifts. God will give you more. And there's almost like this guarantee that's attached to verses like these and in other places. And that works until it doesn't. I mean, I've heard people say things like, yeah, I was, uh, I was on my way to an appointment and I was running late. So on the way there, I just said, God, I need a parking spot as close to the door as possible. And right when I pulled in, this other car was pulling out and there was a Jesus fish on the back, so I knew. And then I parked right up front and I was like, God, thank you. And I hear things like that and the cynical side of me is like, yeah, so I've been praying for a friend of mine who's uh, addicted to drugs for two years and he's still in the throes of addiction. 
Or people who say things like, how was vacation? Oh, it was great, we prayed for good weather. Every day was 78 and sunny, it was perfect. Oh, yeah, but God can't stop wildfires in Maui. What about the sports prayers? <laughs> I'm just so thankful that God helped our team win the championship. Oh, I wasn't sure God was on your side. And by the way, don't you play for the Raiders? I don't think there's any Christians on that team. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just... <laughs> oh, I thought you were wearing a Broncos shirt. Uh, you hear that and then you're like, God helped you win a championship, but God couldn't save my marriage. Or maybe that idea that God gives you what you need and ask for and want works until, as I've done many times over the years, you sit with a family who's lost a loved one. Or you sit with parents who are getting ready to bury a child, a child who passed away from a terminal illness. I'll tell you what, if this is about persistence, I can promise you this, you will never meet someone who prays more than a parent who has a child who's suspended between life and death. If this is all about payoff and persistence, then it would make sense that any parent who has a child who's been given a, a diagnosis of the terminal illness, that they would be healed. But what do you say when they're not? God didn't hear the ache God didn't hear the desperation. God didn't hear the longing. And then what do you say when there's another family whose child was diagnosed with a similar illness and their family prayed and they were healed? You see, when it comes to the question of does God answer prayer or how does God answer prayer or should we ask God for, I can tell you this, when it comes to the results, if you want to say it that way, of prayer, I don't know. I have no clue. I could tell you stories of miraculous healing and I can tell you stories of crumbling disappointment. I don't know. And I've yet to hear anything that really changes my mind that says, oh, that makes sense. And maybe this is not really even what Jesus is trying to get at in these stories, in these parables, in these instructions. What's interesting is Jesus starts by talking about a friend going to his neighbor. And these villages that were all around the places where Jesus grew up and lived and did most of his work, they were all small. If you had a guest in your home, it was understood, well, they're a guest of the community. And so there's something about this guy who has a friend show up late that just makes the assumption, well, I can go to my neighbor because we're like all a part of the same thing going on here. This is why Jesus says, can you imagine if the guy had said that? And everyone's like, no, I can't imagine. He's like, right, why? Well, because you're all in this together. The guest that's over here is his guest too. Jesus talks about your kids or the kids. Like, hey, if they come to you and ask, what do you do? You give them something good. Why? Well, because they have this understanding of you're the one who has what they need and want. You're all a part of the same system here. You're the one who looks after them. You're the one who cares for them. Of course they're going to go to you. Maybe what Jesus is really pointing at is this idea of why wouldn't you go to God? Why wouldn't you go to God and talk about what you want? 
Talk about what you need. I mean, isn't there something that's shared between you and the divine? I think about my human relationships and how I'll tell people, man, I really hope that. I'm really praying for. Sometimes it's, I just really want this. Have you ever wondered why do we tell our friends about the things that we need and want? Well, because there's some life that's shared between us and we talk about these things and it almost comes naturally. We, no one has to say, go tell people what you're interested in, what you want, what you long for, what your deepest needs are. But somehow when we get into these intimate relationships, those things come out. Barbara Brown Taylor, a wonderful writer, speaker, pastor, author, uh, talks about a conversation she had with her granddaughter. And she had her granddaughter over and they prayed before a meal and she said, I realized like how generational my faith was because my granddaughter was like, who were you talking to? And so they began talking about prayer and the granddaughter was really confused about requests and this and that and asked her, does prayer work? And she didn't have an answer. But then at the end of the story, this is how she finishes it. Finishes it. One day, when my granddaughter asks me outright whether prayer really works, I'm gonna say, oh, sweetie, of course it does. It keeps our hearts chasing after God's heart. Of course it does. It keeps our hearts chasing after God's heart. You know, when we ask this prayer work, when Jesus is giving these instructions, I wonder, is it just the idea of, yeah, we're, we're really chasing after God's heart? Just like we would with a neighbor when we need bread, or just like we would with a parent when we want food, just like we would with a friend when we tell them about our hopes and fears, we're just gonna come to God and be like, hey, this is what's going on. And maybe it's not just about the prayer, but it's about the prayer and how we can be transformed in the midst of that. That maybe we can become those who begin even recognizing that what we want and what we long for may not necessarily be what's given. But maybe if we are those who participate in God's life, if we're those who chase after God's heart, we might actually get to the end where Jesus does give the guarantee, which is how much more will your father or your mother in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? The spirit, this breath, this life, this force, this animating energy of God the Spirit, the one through whom all things hold together, the one who birthed all of creation. Jesus says, God will give you that. God will give you God's life. This is the same kind of life we see in Jesus, one that is merciful and compassionate and kind and loving and forgiving and generous. You see, maybe if we chase after God's heart, what will happen is we will find ourselves participating in God's life. We'll be participating in the life of God because we will have been given the Spirit. As we can continue our time together this morning, I was thinking about this idea of participating in God's life. 
This, this being given the spirit of God within us. This life that we see in Jesus. And it's this idea of participating in God's life. This is one of the phrases we often use around Eucharist. That Eucharist is not us just coming and passively receiving. It's us coming and receiving the body and the blood of Jesus as those who are called the body of Christ. That we too, like Jesus, are saying, yes, we ought to be broken and poured out for the life of this world. That we participate in Eucharist as participants with Christ in God's work on this earth. And so in a couple minutes, we invite you to come as you're ready As we always say, this is not the table of Denver Community Church. This is the table of Jesus. And you know what happens when you run out of room at Jesus' table? He builds a bigger table, which means everyone is invited. The only thing Jesus asks is, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Because he is the bread awaiting hunger. And so as we prepare ourselves, hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as you come forward, we have individuals on the sides here down front and we'd ask that you'd come down the middle aisle or the side aisles and return to your seat using the diagonal aisles. You may come when you're ready. Thanks for engaging our teaching with us as we continue to explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in the world. Before you go, we wanted to highlight a few things going on in the life of our community. DCC Men meets on the first Thursday of each month to build community that supports and equips men in their spiritual development, relationships, and work. Join us at the Pub on Pearl on September 7th at 4 p.m. No RSVP needed. Email dccmen at denverchurch.org for more information. To stay connected with all that is happening in the life of our community, we encourage you to sign up for our weekly email or download our DCC app. Again, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. It's always great to be together. Thank you.